Hello everybody, I'm Dwayne Mancini and welcome to another episode of MedTech Money brought to you by Project MedTech. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review and you can always visit our website www.projectmedtech.com or follow us on LinkedIn. If you are enjoying this content, don't forget to check out our other podcasts by searching Project MedTech on your favorite podcast platform or by heading to our website. Project MedTech is an interview-style podcast on the medtech industry where guests share stories, advice, pitfalls, trends, and innovations. In this episode of the podcast, our host, Giovanni Loricella, and our guest, Luca Ravignan from Wise SRL, discuss what his team is working on at Wise, the story of a researcher taking a company from inception to Series C, the effort that went into each round, the importance of local awards, why a mentor when you are starting out is helpful, the major learning moments going from R&D founder to CEO of commercialization, and so much more. So without further ado, Giovanni's discussion with Luca Ravignan. Medical innovation starts with medical discussion. Talking about the future and what comes next with Project MedTech. Luca, thank you very much for joining us here today. This is the MedTech Money podcast series powered by Project MedTech and sponsored by Lifeblood Capital. Very excited to get this story. Recently did this similar style of story over here in the US and I'm very excited about doing this over in Europe because it's a very rare story to hear about how an entrepreneur in med tech has been a first time entrepreneur and actually taken a technology all the way through commercialization. So we're gonna get into that story. But before we do, the reason why we're here and this podcast is I've talked to med tech entrepreneurs and investors around the world And I've discovered that there's no silver bullet specific formula or even magic about how to raise or invest capital in med tech. So my goal here is to extract insights to demystify the process and also help those who can benefit from the information now and also for future generations of med tech innovators. And so the audience listening in now, I'm sure, is a mixture of both novices and experts. However, I'd like to share your stories and advice with what I imagine is that first time founder or CEO, similar to you at one point, and has no clue on what lies ahead of them in their journey of raising capital. And I thought the best place to start is learning from experienced professionals like yourself. So the purpose, again, you and I are here, we're going to get into WISE and the technology and company that you had founded, and also taking that entrepreneurial journey of not only leaving an academic and research setting, by getting involved into the med tech industry, founding a company, and then literally taking it through that entire life cycle and bringing a product to a commercial phase. Before we get into all of that, in addition to your background and also certainly the technology with WISE, I have a few open questions that I'd love to start the podcast off with and kick off some nice conversation. So the first one is, do you believe that people and money are the lifeblood of a med tech startup? Why or why not? Would you add anything or am I missing anything? Well, first of all, thank you very much for the opportunity to, to be with you today and happy to share the story of WISE and my, my experience, my mistakes uh, will help uh, future entrepreneurs. Well, definitely uh, concerning your question, well, definitely a team and people 
are the two key ingredients. So, and I, well, I know I'm not the only one that says so, but uh, but you need both, uh, and uh, you need very good people that believe in the in the adventure, especially at the beginning when you have little little resources, which is the second key element, uh, and, uh, uh, and that trust you and the project. And, and the resources as well are, are very important, but are, are definitely not enough if you don't have good people. I would say then there are also additional elements that also probably are not so original, but certainly important. And, uh, and I think this is quite common for any tech company, especially in the healthcare sector. So to identify a, well, a, a big problem, a, a big medical need, or at least an unsolved problem in the market, which is in, in a large portion of the market, and also to be lucky enough or, 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 or smart enough to have the solution for that problem. So I think that if you, have, if you identify the right problem, you have the right solution, and you have this good, the right team and the right money, this is the, I mean, I think that the, the, the good package to start. And my next question, you and I have known each other for years. We've seen each other at conferences. I've seen you very active on LinkedIn and putting out press releases. Uh, a couple of years ago, if I'm not mistaken, uh, successfully saw you graduate with your MBA program. So I know that you work very hard. And my next question is about luck. A lot of people say you create your own luck, but you've now been an entrepreneur for years, a decade or plus at this point, and you've had, I'm sure, ups and downs. Do you believe in luck? And how much does luck play into the success of MedTech? Well, I, <laughs> great question. I think that a, a bit of luck is always helpful, but definitely is the, the resilience and the, the effort what, what pays because some, sometimes you get luck, sometimes you don't have it, and the resilience is what you need when uh, luck is missing. And and in the, in the adventure of an entrepreneur, there will be complex moments that you will have to uh, to overcome exactly by by, by your effort. So yeah, a, a bit of luck is necessary. Also in the history of wise, as we will say afterward, there was a, a serendipity moment at the beginning. So yeah, we were lucky at the beginning, but then uh, we are also unlucky in certain other moments. And that, and if we exist today, is that because we we overcame overcome that that problems. And once again, going to the fact, and we're going to get into the background, but you have gone through this full spectrum of joining the industry side of things, formulating a company, and then once again, now here we are, and we'll get into the reasons how you actually brought that company or technology rather to patients and commercialized it. Um, but it, you, you've seen this full spectrum and, and you know truly what it means to be an entrepreneur. If you knew what you know now about being a med tech entrepreneur, everything that you've learned and go back 10 plus years when you were still in academia and research, would you do it all over again? Why or why not? Or, or would you simply just do something differently or stay in academia? No, definitely. I would repeat it. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a great experience. Uh, I have to say, it's, it's good that at the beginning, when, when I started, I didn't know what was expecting me <laughs> because often it's, it's good to, to learn the, the difficulties while you're overcoming them. Uh, if, I, if I knew the mountain, how was high the mountain in the beginning, this could have been a bit scary. 
but I think is is a great experience, and I mean I'm I'm very happy that I did it. I would I would repeat it definitely. And then tagging along onto that, right? You you mentioned these mountains, ups and downs, and and I'm sure you've learned so so much about once again entrepreneurship and and even the idea that you had in the academia and research to then formulate and turn into a company. Um, this notion of being a, a CEO, people think that being a CEO is super sexy and, and, you know, glamorous and whatever comes along with that idea, but is being a med tech CEO glamorous? No, <laughs> no, well, <laughs> no, well that's, this is the short answer. No, well, it, it, it's nice and you, you have a lot of responsibility and, and, uh, and definitely you have the possibility to create what you want, which is great. Uh, I, especially in the healthcare industry, I don't think this, I don't see so much glamour. Uh, maybe in other industries, uh, there is more, but here we are living, we are dealing with a lot of responsibility at the end because we do devices that have to go in the, in the body of, of patients. And so uh, at the end, this is the, really the, the, the point. And sometimes, what, especially, as we have now a product on the market, one sometimes thinks, okay, tomorrow somebody will have my device during the surgery. This is, <laughs> so this is not glamour, <laughs> a little bit scaring sometimes. And so, yeah, I, I think this is not the, the, the thing. It, it's anyway very, it gives you a lot of uh, satisfaction. That's true because you, you think of something, you, you have an idea and you have the opportunity to make it, which is, I think, great. And my last question, your company's name is WISE, W-I-S-E. What does the name of your company mean? How did you come up with that name? Yeah, oh, thank you for asking. Well, actually, it is, a, it is an, an, an a acronym, uh, and this, the meaning is Wiringless Implantable Stretchable Electronics. So electronics, which is stretchable, that can be used for implantable medical devices, and which is wiringless, not wireless, because it is not wiring, it's not wires. We have a stretchable material, which is not actually real cable. So this is actually the meaning. Clearly also, we, we like the name WISE, and we hope to be WISE. <laughs> Very good. So the man behind the voice at this point, Luca Ravanan, founder and CEO of WISE, who are you? Where are you from? The man, the person, the researcher, the academic, the now entrepreneur and successful entrepreneur commercialization-wise, um, who are you? Tell us about yourself. And when you get to that end point of being at WISE and founding WISE, <clears throat> let's jump into who is WISE, what is WISE, <clears throat> and what you guys are developing. Oh, sure. Well, I am actually a, a material scientist by training. In the first half of my life, I mean, actually, I'm a physicist. I, I, I did my... Um, I graduated in physics. I did a PhD in physics, uh, specializing on nanotechnology. And for several years after my PhD, I continued as a, as a researcher. Uh, and I was um, always been focusing on nanomaterials. Uh, but at the beginning, really for no application, not, not really for any medical device application, for sure. But actually, we are studying strange materials that have some interest for astrophysics, mainly. So particles you can find in the space. Uh, so basic research at the end of the day. And so in this half of my life, I, I was really enjoying being a researcher. 
and then in 2006, by, by serendipity, uh, we came across by, by, in a, by accident to, uh, I mean, to, to, this, to this new technology. And then I decided to turn into an entrepreneur because I saw the possibility to, to build something with that technology. So after filing a, a patent and with some colleagues, we opened, and the first investor, we opened the company. And, uh, and then in the second part of my life, at the, end, the foundation was in 2011, so it's now over 10 years. Uh, I've been, at the beginning, trained on the job. So I started knowing nothing about uh, what was meaning leading a company. At the beginning, it was also easy. It was just me. So the company was just one uh, man, uh, man, man, man just, just me. And, uh, uh, but then... As my first in, in investor was became also my mentor, I uh, I was trained on the job. I discovered what meant to be an entrepreneur. I discovered that actually I was an entrepreneur by by doing it, and and eventually I also well recently uh, concluded my 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 training by an executive MBA, which was also useful. Uh, so yeah, so I'm I now for I mean I've been an entrepreneur longer. Then I have been previously a, a, a scientist, so now I can say I'm more entrepreneur than scientist. But I, I loved both time of my life. I'd say, <laughs> and, and everything has been done in Italy. I mean, you're, you're from Italy, and correct me if I'm wrong. You're, you're based right now in Milan, but yeah, are you exactly. from Milan? And has everything in your life been done in Milan so far? Yeah, I, definitely. So the, the uh, my research was done at the University of Milano. And uh, I'm actually living in Milan, and uh, and and Wise is uh, is actually just outside the city. The name is Colonia Montese, but just few few miles away from the from the city center. So yeah, that, that everything is is pretty Italian, uh, <laughs> and also my accent, I think, is quite clear, <laughs> really Italian. And so now you've you've led yourself to founding Wise, and here we are. Tell us about the technology, highlight what you guys have been building. Is it one product? Is it multiple products? Tell us about this, this company, even how it's situated. Is everything still in Italy? Are you outside and truly global at this point? Talk about that. Definitely, no, thank you. Uh, well, uh, start talking about the technology, again, uh, we, we come back to my to my previous life, uh, uh, doing uh, an, ex- an experiment on uh, on depositing particle on, uh, on, on, pl- on plastic. We discovered by accident that we were actually not just depositing particle on the surface, but creating a composite. And the particles were penetrating the plastic, forming a composite. And uh, if we were using a silicone uh, or, or any stretchable polymer, we discovered we were able to embed stretchable lines into into the, the polymer. So the the beginning again was accidental, but then we discovered that we could make stretchable electronics out of that. Uh, of that accident, and we filed the, the, the patent. Uh, we then soon discovered that the the real field were there was a strong need for such technology. Again, at the beginning, I mean, I, I don't have a medical background, so I, I was just a, a material scientist. Uh, but we discovered that neurotechnology was a field that was strongly needing electrodes with high compliance, adhesion, and minimal invasiveness, and indeed. This stretchable uh, technology, stretchable electronic technology, allowed to do so. Actually, we also we knew also that our materials were highly biocompatible, and so the idea of, since the beginning of Wise, uh, the foundation of Wise was to be the first developing highly compliant stretchable 
and minimal invasive electrodes for neuromonitoring and neurostimulation. Uh, so we started in, in 2011 with a, a small investment, then several financial rounds followed. Now we raised in total 26 million euros, so roughly 30 million dollars. And with this amount, we have we are working on two product lines. The first is a is a product is called a cortical strip. It's actually called a, the wise cortical strip. Is the, the commercial name, and is is an electrode that is placed on the surface of the brain during brain surgery, and is used for stimulating and recording the brain to give a feedback to the to the surgeon that is removing a tumor in in most of cases. Uh, this product has been. Uh, fully developed, uh, we did a clinical trial to, validate, to, to test the, the, the safety and efficacy of the product. And we are now CE marked. Uh, and since this year, we're also commercial in Europe. So we are now starting selling the first pieces. Uh, while the second product is a, is a chronic electrode for neuromodulation uh, for spinal cord stimulation. It's, it's an electrode that can be implanted through a minimal invasive surgery. It's actually what you use for percutaneous lead is actually a percutaneous electrode, but when it's implanted, it opens and it becomes a large electrode, uh, what is generally called a paddle electrode. So today there are either percutaneous that are not large or paddle that require high invasive surgery, so that cannot be inserted percutaneously. We have developed an electrode that has all the advantages of, of the two. And here we are now in a, in a high advanced stage of, of development. We tested already on cadavers and the, the product works. And now we're validating the, the, the final version. So before we jump into the, the actual capital raising aspect of this, I do have a technology question for myself and hopefully yep. for the audience, just for clarification. When you say electrodes and in the field of neuromodulation, is your technology that you built meant to work with other companies' technologies, or are you providing the direct electromagnetic, or I should say neuromodulation or stimulation with your device? So on, on the first product, we are a, a, on, on the neuromonitoring, actually already the electrodes and the system that are electrophysiologist uh, equipment are already separate. So we are compatible with all systems by, by interconnecting cable. Uh, on the neuromodulation side, uh, at the moment, we are not developing our, our uh, IPG, even if it might be in the future. But uh, the main idea would be to supply uh, our electrodes to one of the players of the sector and so work in a partnership. But, uh, but anyway, we're open also to, to other scenarios when we, that we're considering. Very good. So I want to jump into this, um, and I usually soften it in other podcasts, but I, I think this is such a unique situation because once again, it's such a rare story to hear a founder bring something all the way through commercialization within medtech. So once again, congratulations to your success on that. That's an amazing accomplishment. Um, I want to jump right into the capital piece, raising capital, if you will. So you know, 10 years ago, almost 11 years ago, you were this academic material scientist researcher. And going back to one of our earlier questions on luck, you accidentally founded the technology, right? And then you had this moment in time where you said, okay, this, this technology that we've stumbled upon, we're going to turn into a company. And as you mentioned, your first investor, also your mentor who helped you out, there was this moment in time where you said, okay, I have this idea. I'm going to create a company. I'm a company of one right now. And I now have to 
fund it. I, I don't have the money myself to fund it. I have to go outside and get money. And now all of a sudden, like you mentioned, 26 million euros later, 30 million US dollars. Tell us about that capital raising journey. So the, just for everyone to know who's listening in right now, um, I believe around early October, if not October 1st, there was a press release that came out about you raising your Series C of 15 million euro. Yeah. There was rounds previous to that, right? So once again, taking mm -hmm. off the, the white lab coat and now becoming an entrepreneur, how, tell us about that journey, those multiple rounds. What did you learn along the way? How did that work? And, and more importantly, for all those first-time entrepreneurs who also have ideas like you did 10 years ago, who want to start a company, where did you even start learning about raising capital? Yeah, well, <laughs> great questions. You know, I have to say, that, uh, definitely you're right. We, uh, we were able to raise money in, in, in many rounds. At the beginning, were extremely small. Then the last was was larger. But in general, what is very difficult is to is to raise the first money. So it's not a, a, it's a matter of how much you're raising, but how what is your stage. And, and, and when we started, our, our stage was uh, was was zero. Was a ground floor. Was uh, just the technology with no any medical validation. But actually, was also we had just very very simple prototypes of of stretchable conductors so what is uh, difficult and there is i think where the, the entrepreneur and the team come strongly in the play is to find a first investor that believes in the, in the team in the people and in the story you're telling them and even if you still don't have any strong evidence that you will be able to 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 reach that that level they, they, they trust you at the end and, and give you the the the, the, the it help you and that, and this help is not only money for me it was also to <laughs> a lot of teaching so i, I was lucky to uh, have this first investor is it's called agite uh, and it's very small you certainly don't know them uh, and mario zanonepoma is my is my mentor uh, they they are um, i knew some um, actually one of my uh, shareholder my, my, my one of the other founder uh, know actually them and so it was, we're not completely friend, but I mean, we're, we're close nearby people. And so we, there was some previous trust already. So I think that to start really is quite necessary that you find an investor, possibly not somebody from your family, but at least somebody that is quite in your neighborhood. Uh, then when you, with this, and the first amount that was invested in WISE was small, was 80,000 euros, $100,000. But that was so important because it allowed us to, to start. Uh, it allowed me to move from my career and being completely focused on, 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 on WISE. And then the subsequent round, uh, well, the second one was by 250,000 uh, euro. And that was actually part of uh, um, an award that we were able to, to, uh, to, to win. Uh, again, this was thanks to the job we were doing in the, uh, with the previous round. Then a subsequent round by 1 million, where we started to have investors also coming from out of, uh, outside of Italy, having social German and Swiss investor, but they invested already on, on a small team. Uh, we were at that moment uh, five people having demonstrated uh, that indeed on some experiments, also on, on animals that it was working. And then the subsequent round was by 3.5 million with new investor, the following one by six and a half million, and finally they won by 15. But I have to say that clearly 
each round requires a lot of time and effort, but it certainly uh, is not increasing with the size of the round, sometimes even decreasing. So uh, I, I would say some of, of the following, uh, some of the, the round in between were easier than the, the, the one at the beginning. I don't so, know if I answered completely your question. Yeah, no, that, that was, it allowed me to have a lot more questions that we can start digging <laughs> into. So you mentioned the other rounds were easier and you started off by telling the initial money is usually the hardest, right? The, the, the earlier yeah. rounds. Um, I'm, I'm going to reverse engineer this, right? So the press release came out for 15 million for Series C and then go backwards, 6.5, 3.5, 1, 80,000. Do they all have classical names for their rounds? Was there a family yep. and round, a seed round, a series A, series B? Yeah, we, we call them Angel, the first, Seed, the, the second, Seed Plus, the one by one million, then Series A, the one by three and a half, a Series B, the, the one by six and a half, and then uh, Series C, the one by 15 million. So that was the naming we gave to the rounds. So with the 80,000, as you mentioned, first stage money, local in your neighborhood, someone who you knew or certainly found out about the 250,000 round. Did you say that you won that by a competition or was that grant exactly. money? Exactly. Yeah, that, uh, we, there was a, a, in, uh, a European competition on uh, for companies in the nanotechnology space. Uh, it actually was based in, in Italy, the competition, but was participated by several European companies. And uh, we were uh, uh, lucky enough to win it, and it was important because actually that was not uh, that money then were, was given. Uh, so it was actually an, an investment because uh, it, it was not given for free. Uh, the institution that gave that money became shareholder of the company. Uh, but they again uh, that that award was somehow a kind of due diligence on the project, and uh, and again uh, that was very important because still at that moment. The project was when we had some additional evidence compared to the beginning, but still very, very limited. And and I have to say, I mean, that really, together with that, we were able to, to win some grants money that was also useful. And also we, we obtained a loan, a highly facilitated loan by a, by a local institution. So in that was 2012. So in 2012, really by mixing together and with also some creativity, these different financials, so a bit of equity, a bit of grant, and a bit of loan, we were we were able to, to, to create that minimum critical mass to then having a first lab, a, a renting a lab, having some equipment, and, and starting. And, but really, that's, in, in that phase is the very difficult one, because you start needing a, a relevant amount of money, uh, and uh, it's you're still open to mm, well, to risky for most of the institutional investors. So, and they, they, in some countries, you are more lucky. So there is more national national support to those phases. Uh, we started pretty soon to be independent, and, uh, and also because it was not so easy to get this kind of support in Italy. But of course, it was a decision that the funding team made. Anyway, in a way or another, you, again, to then be able to have your Series A, that uh, actually what we call our, sorry, our Series Seed Plus, so the one by one million, 
you, you need to have some level of evidence that you have to create. And again, at the beginning, you have to be creative also on, on the finance. So for us was at the beginning, family and friends, so the angel. And the second was this strange award that also was an equity component. So I want to pause there real quick because one of our previous conversations, we talked about this topic of awards and competition, et cetera, and, and you made it very clear on the importance of that, right? Yeah. Um, so a couple questions I'm going to tie into this. Talk about early stage entrepreneurs, once again, whether they know or not about how to raise capital, but when you're a med tech startup, early stages, this notion of awards or recognition on a local level, on a national level, on a European level, on a global level. Talk about how important that is for entrepreneurs and why is it important? Why should they be thinking about that? What benefit does it bring your company? Yeah, no, for sure. I think they're extremely important. For us, they were. Uh, we, in total, we got something close to 20 different awards, uh, starting from very local, to then regional, national, European, and some also outside of Europe. Uh, and they give validation. And again, you have to uh, okay, give also some, uh, some psychological support to the entrepreneur, because again, you are starting, you are taking a lot of risk yourself, and to see that somebody at the end gives you a piece of paper saying you, you got the award, helps you in creating some confidence. Yourself. So this is also important because it's a, a growing Pass also for the, 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 the entrepreneur, but even more important, gives gives you uh, validations. And again, the, the, the investor that will approach you, you will not have still uh, the, the, the product ready. You uh, maybe you will have some simple uh, prototype, but you will see that other people have looked at you at your idea and have. They gave you an, they gave you an award and this I, I think creates a lot of uh, well credibility at the end to to your project so I, uh, we invested quite a bit of time in, in, in these awards and uh, and I think especially at the beginning they were very important so no, I, I encourage everybody to do it starting for so we, we got at the beginning the award as the best a healthcare company in the Lombardy region. So in, we actually is a, Lombardy is one of the 20 regions of Italy and Italy, you know, is much smaller than the US. Uh, so we are 10 million in the Lombardy region. But nevertheless, that was very easy and very good. Then we got, again, national awards, European awards. And again, every time this, this helped. And even we last year, we, we were awarded as the best Italian startup of, of all possible fields, but again, this helps uh, even even after raising fifty million. Uh, this gives a lot of uh, again satisfaction, but also show to the investor put the thirty million dollar that at the end they were doing right. And do you do you recommend for those entrepreneurs listening in, like you described it? Lombardy region, Italy, Europe, outside of Europe. Is it really like a building block situation, all about validation, kind of like a company where you maybe should start local in your region or in your city, and then you go national, and then you go continental? Uh, well, I, I, I think there is not really a, a rule. If one is able, since the beginning, to uh, approach large, uh, large competition is better, 
But I have also to say that, again, larger competition generally are open to companies that have already some kind of structure. So that's why at the beginning, generally, you start with local competition that are dedicated to much to very early stage projects, sometimes even to, to research projects that are not yet uh, industry, uh, industries. Uh, and then you scale up on, 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 on these uh, awards. And generally, as you scale up, also their geographic coverage is scaling. So uh, clearly, if you talking to, to an entrepreneur, so if you have already uh, enough evidence, a good a business plan that can uh, can be awarded, can get to an award of, of a global competition, go for that. So I, I, I'm, I'm not 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 ref, not refrain from it. But often will happen that you will it will be easier for you to start from small to, to then enlarge. So then taking a little sidetrack and I'm gonna stay in this early, early stage still, as you know, as a CEO and founder, raising capital is, is very distracting. It's very time consuming. Yeah. Going back to your passion project, when you stumble across and created this technology, your previous life, you were a physicist, you were a materials engineer and scientist, like you mentioned. I mean, your life was technology and, and I'm assuming correct me if I'm wrong, but usually when you're in that lifestyle, that's really your focus, your love, your passion is actually the technology itself. Yeah. And this transition, when you love that technology aspect, and all of a sudden you have to <laughs> co-found or found a company, and you have to learn from scratch about what does it mean to be an entrepreneur? What does business really mean? All of a sudden, there's this distracting component of all yeah. these other things that you have to focus on rather than the initial idea and that passion project of technology that you started. So this mentor that you mentioned that first got into the company with you, I mean, when you transitioned from this material scientist and then founded WISE, accounting, lawyers, the business practices in general, this ideation of just getting the word out and marketing, all that stuff, did that come around at that $80,000 or did it come around the 250,000? I mean, like, how did you know how to incorporate a company and then immediately get away from the technology and having to start dealing with accounting practices and how do you invest the 80,000 and where do you put it? Talk about that, that transition yeah. period. No, that's, that's very interesting. And uh, well, indeed, I, I have to say it was, it's a, pro, it's a continuous process. So since really the, the, the beginning, even actually, uh, I started uh, to this transition even before funding wise, following some university courses that were actually related to a competition that were giving just very preliminary idea of what a business plan was. So actually this was useful. That was in 2010. So, I, so the year before funding wise, and this was useful for me at least to get some, some knowledge of of the of the language, you know, because it's completely different language for, compared to. It's, it's not that it's complicated. Again, if you have a scientific background uh, and you have been through your your science studies, uh, I, I mean, to to learn the, the the basic the new language will be not so difficult. There is not a, a huge technical difficulties, but simply it's it's something new. So you have to be humble and again, starting from the scratch. So you might be the best uh, a genius in physics. I'm not, but maybe uh, you are. <laughs> but then you have to start again and understand what is a, a, a business plan. Uh, but then uh, I did it so. And so starting from 
again taking some classes, very basic, basic, and so being able then to to structure my first business plan, which is also extremely simple. And then when I I, I found advice with, with my first investor, uh, I I think I was humble enough to again ask him to help me. I mean, I, since the foundation, I'm the CEO, but the first day I didn't know what what was was a CEO. So at the beginning, it was a CEO not by accident, but by, again, I, but then during the first year, uh, I learned a, a lot of things also to to deal with lawyers. I, I learned that a company has also financial statements, even if it's very small, you have to present those uh, accounting, and and a little by little, I I I, I learned. Uh, what was needed the the, the big uh, you know what I have to pay for that and I, have, I think uh, is that and I understood very soon is that if I wanted to be the, 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 I mean, the, the guide of this company as the CEO I had to leave the research and so I, I am not any longer in the lab uh, so I uh, I think that some of the young folk in my company might even think that I'm not able to, to use the equipment in, in the laboratory because, okay, you are, is the guy in the, in, in the office. No, I'm just joking, but I mean, sometimes they're not even fully aware that it was me at the beginning using the screwdriver and making the experiments. Uh, but you know, that's, this is what you have to pay. So I, um, in, after the first year, really, I, I left the, the, the research activity uh, I, and uh, the, now there are other people that are doing it, and I am focusing on again on on managing the company at, at high level, on the, the relationship with the investors, and on finding uh, a new one. That, as you said, is uh, is a long work. It requires a lot of time, uh, but it can be also helped by 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 companies. So there are companies that support this 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 work. But the CEO has to be part of this game. So you, it's, it's, it's your face is my face uh, that has to come. So the first contact can be helped by somebody, but then it will be me that have to convince on, on the project. So yeah, that's, that, this is what one has to pay if you become an entrepreneur. I think at, at a certain moment, you will have to leave your, <laughs> your screwdriver. <laughs> So I'm so glad that you led into this because I, I love this topic. And I think this is really, it could be the question of this whole podcast series. If I'm going after trying to create this information to share with first-time entrepreneurs. Um, but I want to stay here for a quick second. You made it very clear. You were the first guy with the screwdriver in the beginning, right? And now all of a sudden you're no longer in the lab and you went through that transition um, there are companies who are founded by technologists and they try to make that transition into being a CEO and they quickly find out that they are distracted by accounting and hiring and raising capital, et cetera. And then, you know, it's a, they feel it in their soul. They're just like, this is not what I signed up for. I, I, I love this technology that I had in my head. That's really where I'm best at. That's what I love waking up for every day. And now all of a sudden, this idea that I've created on the technology side, I've had to give to others and I've put myself in this other category of almost pure business. Of course, I can still speak the language and, and if I needed to jump back in the lab and maybe help out a junior engineer. But there's this fork in the road sometimes where these founders have to create the decision for themselves. 
are they going to maintain being the CEO and founder and go down that path and get further and further away from the lab and be more and more of a leader and a businessman or woman? Or do they realize that all the work that they've put in, all the ideas that they've created, the technology that started the idea in the company, it would be better served for the company to hire an actual CEO who's going to come in and run it because my passion and my best skill sets where I think long-term for the success of the company is being closer to the, the technology where that founder may then transition from CEO to CTO or exactly. chief scientific officer, something like that. So how did you, how did you manage that decision yourself emotionally when I'm sure you were at that position, that fork in the road where you're like, do I need a new CEO or am I going to really be this businessman or how far away am I willing to get from the technology? How did you deal with that? Well, this is a great question again. And, and I think this is really related also to, I mean, to, to the person no? uh, who is the, 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 I mean, who is you as the entrepreneur? So uh, there, there is no, golden answer so that there are the uh, founder that are much better being cto or chief scientific of, uh, officer of the company and they will never and they are not keen or anyway are not adequate is not their skill they, they, to be the, the ceo or, or other like me that at the end understood that ceo was there and they, what they wanted to do you know the difference at the end is the, the how much do you want to have the control knob in, 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 in your in your hand. So uh, and, and I mean I when I created uh, the, this project at the beginning, uh, I my my interest was yes to develop it from a technical level, but even more to see it develop and work on this development. And and to do so is the CEO uh, who, who who creates the company, who builds also the uh, the culture of the company. Uh, and uh, if but if, if you have another CEO as so somebody you find you hire a CEO you will have that power and so somehow you have to be ready to stay on the second line uh, on on, uh, on that so he will decide what is the, the company culture and you will take care of the technology so you might be ready for that or not uh, I uh, I personally preferred. To, to control the culture and the, the, the structure and the, 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 and the vision of the company rather than keeping the hands on the technology. Uh, but again, it was my choice. I, 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 and it's a choice uh, that I took quite, I, I would say right at the beginning. Uh, but you know, I have also to say that the, the, what is really the bigger choice, especially for somebody coming from, from my background is leaving research because you know, I mean, I, I, in my previous life, I was changing a research subject. Often, I was uh, I, I was much I was free in somehow, and it was also I, I, I could I could change. So I was not working on a business plan over many years, and and I was uh, when I when I decided to move from my, my, the research to the to to, uh, to the company. That was the big separation and even if i was remaining a cto still i was the cto developing only the technology for the company and not doing research any longer so at the end that is the large uh, jump 
uh, and and uh, also to say I what I if everybody will see what is better for him whether to be the CEO or CTO what I suggest is not to keep your uh, in Italy we say the foot in two shoes uh, so not, don't stay both in the university and in the company at the same time let's say thinking that during the day you can do research and during the night you can do the entrepreneur because it doesn't work uh, are completely different focus different objective different time spent so I think that is the, the big decision uh, do you want to make the company you want to take over the company do it leave your previous uh, your job as a researcher and then into the company you will decide where to stay at the, at the control room or at the control of the lab that is just up to to your I mean how you like I love it so thank you for sharing that because I, I genuinely love that topic and, and honestly if this podcast series is so entrepreneurial focused what you just said is such a wise no pun intended piece of information for those listening to consider either leaving academia or what it really means to be in a technical person willing to found a company and then develop the company versus develop the technology. So for those listening real quick, um, I do want to point this out because this plays very well into what Luca was just saying. There is a very famous Harvard Business Review article called The Founder's Dilemma. And in there, there is a theory called rich versus king theory which is where the founders either decide that they're going to hand over the reins to another CEO who's better served and will take the company with better skill sets than they have. Or there's another option, which obviously what Luca had found, um, which is he would rather develop the company and take that further and, and build an, another technical team underneath, which fascinating article. And, and if you can't find it yourself, please reach out to me, more than glad to share it with you. Um, so Luca, th this is a very short and sweet question just to kind of wrap up what we just talked about and then we're going to get back into the other capital raising pieces. But going from this notion of distraction again, right? So founding a company, leaving academia, and then now being this business builder, very simplistically so we can move on from it, raising capital from a CEO perspective, early stage and even later stage, <clears throat> it's very time consuming and it really is a distraction from all other either technological development or operations in the company. Is that true? Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, so I mean, generally, uh, when I I start, so the time frame for raising, uh, so from the, when you start uh, the communication that the company is raising money to when you get the money on the bank, that period of time lasts at least one year. I think if if you are good. You, you, it will take one year, so about six months to be able to raise attention, to talk with many different investors, identify the one that want to join your current investor, and then maybe even seven seven months, and then you will have other five months, month, five six months at least for all the the procedure of due diligence of negotiation up to coming to the closing, and during that time, who is leading that pro, uh, process in wise generally it's, it has always been me uh, I mean it's it's the, the top the, the topic that absorbs a, a lot of time uh, so but it's at the end uh, as you said at the beginning people and money are the two basic ingredients uh, I uh, I'm also uh, I mean clearly looking at each additional person that comes to wise 
I interviewing the person also. So I am staying on the team, but also I have to work very actively to bring the money. So I want to go back now to these subsequent rounds that you mentioned. We talked about the 80,000, the 250,000 pretty thoroughly. This 1 million seed plus round, was that yeah. the first time that you had to look for venture capital money? Was that the first time outside money, not with where awards or angels came in? Yeah. And I have to say, uh, and I think of it a question because actually it was also very important because in that period of time, it, I started to go to, um, to investor meetings, uh, which was in, incredibly important for me also for, for learning because uh, I started to watch other people's pitches and see what the other entrepreneurs were doing. Uh, and it's extremely teaches you a lot. Uh, so I, 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 there was a series of uh, investor meetings here in Europe. I started to attend them, many of them. And I have to say the first time I made a pitch was definitely horrible, I have to say, <laughs> because I, it was a, a, a scientific presentation with some business wording inside. Uh, but during this process, actually, I learned a lot, and now actually, I mean, actually, took I had quite a large number of awards as 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 best presentation, which again is again is a validation that goes into, for for the investors. But no, I so in in coming to the, the one million round, it was exactly the consequence of going to those investor meetings. I in that year, 2011 and 12. I, I went to, to many of them. In one of them, I met one, uh, one representative of a German fund. And uh, it was very interested from, from the presentation and uh, wanted to follow on. I, I visited the, the, this, this investor in, in Germany. Actually, this is a large German fund that was not supposed to invest in Italy. We're the first Italian company they ever invested in. I think still the only one. Uh, and uh, uh, and so there was the right chemistry, and in, in a short time they decided to invest. The fund, by the way, is called Hightech Grunderfund, is is really uh, dedicated to to Germany. They have one one billion, more than one billion under management. Uh, and uh, uh, and I have to say, uh, but they, there was a condition. They said, okay, we invest. So we do we did, they did the diligence that we invest. But if other two investors will will join. And together we, we started looking at them. And so they helped me to connect with a Swiss investor that at the end joined, that is Brain to Venture. And I was already in touch with an Italian investor that, uh, that then decided to join. Uh, and that was really the, the first real round. So that's why we call that the seed plus, because actually it was really the seed. We had a previous seed, but came from an award that was the real seed according to the literature uh, investment with uh, investors that had, again, they were real venture capitalists. Uh, then th that was a, a, a big training because after that, the following round, I knew already uh, a lot of also negotiable negoti part. And, uh, and, and I'm not saying that it was easy then afterward, but definitely easier than, than that round. So I'm, I'm geeking out over our conversation right now because it, it's the perfect style of conversation for this podcast series. And, and I'm loving everything that we're talking about. And I also want to be sensitive to time. So I'm going to open up. I have several questions more that I want to get through that I think would be great insight from you. So I'm going to have this next one open up in more of a, uh, an open-ended question so that you can tell the story. You mentioned earlier, some of these rounds got easier. 
keep in mind you're speaking to an audience of entrepreneurs right now who will eventually be in your shoes. This one million round of first time investors outside, no longer grant money, and then the 3.5 and then 6.5, now the 15 million. As this first time entrepreneur yourself learning how to raise capital from external investors, the difference between earlier stage, 1 million, 3.5, and now later stage, 6.5 to 15 million. Tell us about some of these, these facts that you've learned, some of the um, experiences that you've had. And just if you're speaking to a general entrepreneurial audience, for the first time founder raising venture capital money, how did you go about that process? And then as these subsequent rounds happened, why was it getting easier? Is it just because you simply knew how to do it now? Or is later stage money simply easier than early stage? Talk about that whole story. Yeah, well, yeah, that's, thank you. A complicated question, indeed. I try to do my best in answering. Uh, so uh, I have to say, the fact that it becomes easier is basically because first uh, you learned also better to deal with the investor and also you understand much better what they need and the requirement you know the first time i was in i, I looked at the term sheet of my my series uh, seed plus round i was shocked somehow and also some of, because some of the conditions looked completely strong and nasty and uh, uh, then after uh, some time, you discover that that's actually the, 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 the standard of, of venture capitalists. And some of those conditions at the beginning were not nasty. It was also pretty kind compared to what I actually saw afterward. Uh, but, so, but at the beginning, you, you have I mean, wise to interpret, again, coming from the academia, you don't know what is the, the problem that the investor has. The, pro- the investor has the problem that when you have the money, uh, again, the control that he has on you is limited. And so they want to put a, a number of, of ropes or conditions that at the end they will never be used, but are there just to be sure that you will not, I mean, run away with the money, be crazy and start doing completely different a job. So opening a restaurant <laughs> and on, on, some, uh, on some island uh, with the money. And so, uh, but at the beginning, you you just, you are not prepared, again, because you have a different background, you're a researcher, say, oh, come on, but why are you asking me these, uh, uh, these warrants? Why are you asking me this condition? Why are you, why can you take me away my, my shares if you, if this condition happened? So th- there are something they say, no, I'm the founder, I'm the investor, you just put the money. So what do you want from me? And, and this is, I think, the, a big gap at the beginning, and you are not familiar with that. As you learn that indeed this is, and there are reasons behind, and after doing a, 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 one of those contracts, and you see that actually the investor after signing is not somebody with a gun that wants to kill you, but actually wants to support you the best he can, and that all these conditions stay just on paper in case you are a nasty person, but you are not, then, in the following uh, round, it's much easier because, okay, you know already you will find that, that close. You know already what are the clauses that you have to negotiate strong, which is the very, very important one, and the one that are just market standard. So this is one of, of, of the big training that people like me get. Clearly, you have a lawyer that helps you and that tells you, but clearly, at the end, it's your signature that have to go the contract. And again, at the beginning, you... 
you see this condition, say no, 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 come on, you're nasty people. I <laughs> why do I want to, to take my company? So this is uh, then the other thing is that again, it's easy. so you are more organized. Also, you have you know you know what is a, a data room. Actually, I keep updated the data room of the company now. But the first time you have to build a data room, you don't know to, what, to, what to put inside. So also this is another thing. So now when I go to, to financial round, I start the, 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 with the data room ready. And this makes everything much easier. Uh, also, you learn better to, to select the right investor because there are investors that follow different stages. And so in, and also in the previous conversation, you identify the investor to say, okay, it's too soon for me, but will be okay for the next round. So in the next round, you contact them and they know already you. So this is also what makes the process easier because you know already a lot of the people, you can already target the people that might be interested. And and, that, 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 and finally, that probably is the first element, is that you indeed have developed the stuff. So if an investor that knows you since five years and that continue to say that you were too early, but see that indeed you did what you were what you said that you were going to do. Maybe it took to you longer. Maybe maybe you did a little bit differently. But again, you succeeded. This is a strong element for doing a negotiation because while at the beginning, again, it's just you, your ideas, and your simple prototype. So, so this is why I think that going on. It takes time. It's complicated, but you are you know better what to do. You are prepared and focusing on what is important and what is not, and you know the TA, the network. Raising large amount of money is not as complicated as it, as at the beginning, to raise little amount. So simply that. But clearly, the contracts will be bigger. The the, the, the due diligence will be much more in 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 deep. There were. Uh, there will be m- many more experts looking at your documents than at the beginning, but again, you, you know what to do. Excellent. I love that. So I, I want to make an analogy one more time because you made it very clear that one of your biggest decisions, if not your biggest decision, was leaving academia to become an entrepreneur, right? We talked about also that split of staying CEO versus handing off the reins to somebody else. But going to this notion now that you've seen it, A, through Z of a company, founding through commercialization. It's one thing to leave academia and found a company. And now you're a founder. Now you're in the industry. You're you're learning, you're learning the business, et cetera. And we live in a regulated world within med tech. So then all that it really is at this point is you have a product. It's certainly not even close to regulatory approval or clearance yet. So it's not even touching patients but you have to learn this business aspect of developing a company in operational mode, in R&D mode, which is those first earlier stages. I'm sure you got the handle of that pretty quickly. And that was a learning lesson coming from academia. But is the next chapter of learning, learning how to be a CEO of a commercial company? Is it is <laughs> the next one where you leave academia, you learn how to be a founder, then you're a founder in operational and R&D mode, and then you have to learn almost all again on what it means to be a commercial stage company. Is that true? Completely. And by the way, uh, 
is so tr true that you said that uh, I'm an entrepreneur from A to Z. This is not true. I'm an entrepreneur from A to M, probably. So, <laughs> so I'm still several, several, and now I'm exactly in the phase you're saying. So, uh, the, the the challenge of being on the market, on commercializing the product, on uh, on communicating, not any longer at, at the clinicians because I, for a long time clinicians were our partners. Now they are becoming. Now they are our customers, and this is different uh, because clearly partners don't pay, <laughs> and uh, now they have to pay if want to have the product. And also, there are challenges that we are facing related to scale up of production. Now you know we are now producing in, in volumes, but we have to increase those volumes. These are all new challenges that we are facing, and so I, I think that the, the the pathway to Z is still long goes for me and for, for the company. Uh, so we have our, the job that we did until M is, it, 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 it what makes me confident that we'll get to Z, but, but it's, still, uh, it's still challenging. So that, let me just extract some high level points and once again, for those listening in right now, that now transition from R&D operational company into commercial three to five, whatever you, want to, whatever you want to say, but what are some of these major aha moments or new learning moments from going from R&D operational founder and CEO to now CEO of commercialization? Like what was that growing pains and major transition? What, what big things did you learn being a commercial stage company that you had no idea about previous? Yeah, uh, many indeed. Well, one is also that identifying the price for your for, for your product is clearly pricing is not easy uh, and indeed with price you communicate a lot uh, and so uh, and to that's with one one element so until you do the development you you never put a, a, a cost on, on, on the product now you have to put a cost you have to defend that cost with the distributor with the clients and convince that indeed the product is worth that money. Obviously, it's easy to place a product at, at a lower at a lower cost, but your, what you have to do is to show that you, your value is higher because that's actually to, to, to sell a cheaper, better product is easy, but it's stupid. You have to, to sell a, a better, more expensive product. So that's one, one of the challenge. Uh, and actually, uh, and I have to say, uh, on that, it was very useful for me to identify people with more experience that are working with me on this subject. So uh, uh, now, uh, the, the other element is definitely that is very important. Again, I said already, but is how to move a, a production line that worked in R&D or in pre in pre series mode on a continuous mode with volumes that are reliable and, and big again. And, and this is also an important transition we're, fa we're facing. And I think we're going, doing, doing a good job, but uh, it, it's definitely not, not easy. So, you know, it's, you, if you want to have agreement with distributors, you have to take commitment on, on volumes of products and you have to, to give them in, in, in precise timing. And this is a, a different, so this is really execution in a different way. So it's not creative execution, but is uh, really <laughs> in, in iterative and uh, reliable execution. Uh, and yeah. 
No, go if you have. No, 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 but that was that was. I think that I think these are the, now the, the two main, among many others. But uh, I think two two new stuff where <laughs> where were definitely are high in uh, in the challenge and in in, the, in our effort. So I want to summarize that real quickly. I have one last question, sensitive to your time. Um, summary of that is: Do you agree with the fact that being a R&D operational CEO, and then having to learn now this commercial stage, it's it's another ma major learning curve and major jump, just like it was going from academia to being a founder. Is that true? I mean, is, I, I yep. just, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of early stage entrepreneurs out there that have this notion that they're going to sell their company before they ever even get to commercialization. And if they don't, they really have to prepare for commercialization. I have to say I was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, in most of cases, if you will, you will not go to to the market, but then you have to go there. And, and yeah, that is a huge jab. Actually, is the reason why I, I I made my executive MBA because I wanted to be at least prepared a bit from a theoretical point of view to, to that transition that I was I saw coming <laughs> on my way. And still now we yeah this is it's indeed uh, but this also is, is really something that you live in the company it, it, you become something different also something more real because again it's not any longer a project it's a product guys it's a package like with that. the name the label and that's something that you can ship so it, it also from uh, from psychological point of view inside of the company it changes everything. And and uh, and it's an important transition. I think it makes a lot of maturity. Uh, but again, uh, as you said, it is a it is a transition that you have to to accomplish, and we are trying to do it now. So my last question. Thank you very much for your time. I know this is a little bit of an extended podcast, but once again, I think this is exceptional. Um, you and I, once again, have seen each other numerous times, but I think I'm referring to the last time that we were in Dublin together at the MedTech Strategist Conference. And now here we are nearly three years later, two and a half plus. Um, you and I had a really great conversation about this disruption about the European medical device regulations, EU MDRs. Yeah. Then how is it affecting your company? But certainly now here we are in this current stage, nearly three years later. How has the European medical device regulations affected WISE? Well, uh, we um, well, it has affected us uh, because well, luckily enough, the first product uh, we uh, approved under the previous regulation, so the MDD, the directive. Uh, now we are under regulation, uh, and the, the, the effect is that the second product we decided not to go for European approval first, but FDA approval first. And I think that this new regulation is changing completely. The, the strategies of well, actually, as a matter of fact, it's not just a, just looking at peaches. Uh, everybody in Europe now is going for an FDA clearance or FDA approval first, and then eventually maybe coming to Europe. And uh, and it's it, it's a pity. Uh, Europe uh, in the past was the right place to start developing devices, and there was innovation coming here first. American company coming to Dublin, <laughs> establishing a, a European office to then uh, approving the product in Europe first. And now it has, has reversed. I think it's crazy in a way, but yeah. And what we, what we said three years ago uh, and what we were expecting is exactly occurring now. Uh, so Europe is, uh, is losing, uh, uh, I think, several years of medical innovation and 
and and this I think soon people will understand it. Uh, but I mean, the entrepreneurs understood it since the beginning, <laughs> but they were not. Uh, the, well, there was no. Uh, I say they, they were not listening at them. And okay, this is the, just the, the new world, the new European world. Look at this. You are the reason why I created this podcast series. This this exact right. story has been exceptional, right? I mean, to hear what it really truly means to be a founder in med tech and literally like you, I'm, I'm gonna steal your line, I love it. It's not a project, it's a product. And literally take it from A, I'm not gonna use that anymore, I'll use M, but now it's a product, right? It, it's, it's out there, it's commercialized. Um, that mechanical story of what it truly means to start something and bring it to patients is a huge effort and it's so complex and many learning lessons along the way of which you've gone through and these are the stories that i want the world of entrepreneurs and medtech who are considering either becoming entrepreneurs for the first time or starting something on their own after already being in startups or even the industry so i would love to say thank you so much for your time this is luca ravenan ceo and founder of wise in milan Thank you very much for your time. This is the MedTech Money podcast series where we demystify raising and investing capital. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, really. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at Thanks for listening and have a great day.